So good morning. We are grateful that you're here today. If you're a first-time guest, uh, we try to make it awkward like this every week, and so we're glad you're here. Uh, we, uh, we have the privilege of uh, diving in uh, here in a few moments to the Word. But just real quickly, I just want you to understand that why we gather is for moments of what we just witnessed. Uh, the church is about life change. And the most convincing argument to me about God on planet Earth is, uh, is what he has done through the lives of men and women. Uh, if you knew Chris Bird before he met Jesus, you would know the man that would not have reached out or responded to his daughter in the way that he did. But because Chris and Jenny have met Jesus and followed him since becoming believers uh, in their faith and particularly of Chris and his faith here at Stone Point since coming several years back. He has not only met and followed Jesus, but now we can thank the Lord of heaven and earth for what he has done. And we get to be a part of the story of reconciliation. And that is the purpose of what we are. We are ambassadors and we are ministers of reconciliation is what Paul writes uh, to the church of Thessalonians. And we get the privilege of doing that. And I just want you to hear this today, that if you came so that you could hear some convincing message or that you could be encouraged, I praise God for that. But the most convincing message I think you're going to hear today is what God has done in a family that you just witnessed. And I really believe that we could pray right now and that we could dismiss and our hearts would be full of joy and we would be encouraged greatly for what the Lord has done. And listen, that's what the church is and should be. It's about stories of God's goodness and his faith in our lives. Even though we're broken and messed up people, God somehow sees fit in his good mercy to redeem us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to make us his vessels. And so I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the story we just witnessed and it was well worth the time that we spent seeing it. If you don't mind, let me pray for us, and then we are going to dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we thank you for the stories of life change that we have witnessed over the years. This is one of many. Our hearts are full, and we are thankful. Uh, we praise God for what you have done in the Bird family, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue to give them wisdom and guidance, and you would help them to instruct their beautiful young daughters in the way that would inspire uh, them to live lives for you and your kingdom's sake, but also that would be an inspiration of those who look on and view it. Father, we thank you and we trust you and we love you. And we pray, God, that as we explore your word today, that you would encourage our hearts and that you would challenge us in the way that we think through our family tree. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know about you, but if you ever watch the news, uh, you could get a handful of moments uh, with the news on uh, in the evening, and you could probably look at somebody next to you in the room, and you could ask the question, what in the world is happening today? Uh, any of you, if you were just to watch the news or you were to watch things happening in public schools, wonder what it is that's happening around us? Go ahead, raise your hand on both campuses. You're like, man, this is crazy. Uh, you look at the generations that come before us and, and then after us, and you continue to watch how it just, in a sense, trickles downhill, and you oftentimes wonder, like, why is the world so messed up? And why are people so broken? And if you are a, a generation that's above me, you go, man, it's because of these young kids. It's the millennials, which, by the way, I'm young enough that I happen to be a millennial. And so when you speak harshly about them, you speak about me. And here's what I have learned. Millennials learned what they know from their parents. And whatever generation will follow me will learn what they know about 
the world and the way they see the world from their parents and from the culture in which they live in. The reason I share that with you is because as we look at the news and we wonder why has everything uh, been so messed up, it's a reminder that we have more to do and that we have a part to play in it and that we should in some ways stop blaming other people and the next generation and we should in some ways figure out how is it that we change the course, the tide. How is it that we would be a remnant of people? So here lately, I've been reading through parts of the Old Testament. Me and a handful of others on our team, as well as even my journey group, we've been exploring through uh, the book of Micah. And Micah, the first three chapters, is pretty depressing. And the reason why is because the people of Israel, which is God's people in the Old Testament, a nation that's going to bring about the Messiah, had done many things that were destructive in the eyes of the Lord. Matter of fact, their leaders, a kingdom of priests, the Levite tribe and all of its leaders had began to do things that didn't honor the Lord. Uh, They uh, took advantage of people that were um, poor and they oppressed them. They uh, brought destruction upon widows and orphans while they sat in their cush palaces and their places and they had all that they wanted. They fed themselves well, but yet they oppressed the poor. Uh, they had all the money they needed and yet they would constantly take it from others. They were just not the kind of leader that the Lord wanted them to be. And they were the priest of the nation. Matter of fact, uh, God would say it through the prophet Malachi this way. He goes, I'm going to shut the gates of the altar. Matter of fact, your priests continue to bring me sacrifice. They do their daily rituals. They bring me blind sheep. They bring me sick sheep. Would you just tell them I don't want that anymore? If they're not going to bring me what's best in the eyes of the Lord, just tell them that they can't be the leaders I want them to be. And just reminded me in some conversation that we've had of Ezekiel chapter 34, this text in the Old Testament that just kind of reminds us of what the leaders of Israel look like in that day and age. And maybe you think about the leaders of Israel and you go, well, were they really that bad? Well, let's just hear what the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel about them. And I'll put it for you up on the screen. I'm going to read 10 verses, and this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel, the prophet, speaking. He says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and then say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not you feed as shepherds the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered off over the mountains and over every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek after them. Therefore, you shepherds, or if you want to put in the context, you leaders of Israel, you should hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord of God, surely because of my sheep, they have become a prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd. Because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds should hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. I am against the leaders of Israel. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves, and I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. In verse 11, the Lord goes on and he says this, For thus the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. 
If you continue that chapter, it shows you the, contra- the correlation and, and the contrast between what the Lord will do for his people and what the leaders lacked in their care to do for the people. Matter of fact, in verse 15 and 16, although I'm not providing it for you on the screen, it just says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I'll bring back the strayed, I'll bind up the injured, I'll strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will give them justice. So what he's basically saying is this. He goes, there are leaders in Israel who have done a great injustice. They have fed themselves, they have uh, cared for themselves, but they have neglected the oppressed, the poor, and the people that I put in their charge. And he goes, you wonder why the nation is in ruins. It's because of the leaders. You wonder why the generation is in despair. It's because the generation before them did not teach them what it was. And when I start thinking about our culture, I don't naturally think about just our leaders in the, in the government. I don't naturally think about the leaders in the church. When I think about the culture in which I see a fragmented culture in despair, I think about the leaders of the home, the shepherds that God has called first and foremost to change the society, and that is the family structure. The unit that God has put under our care and entrusted to us is really important. And so I start thinking about what it looks like to be a family that loves and is devoted to things of God, to, in a sense, equip and make strong disciples, kiddos that would raise up to not just love activities in the church, not just love camps or uh, overnight stays or slumber parties, but that there would be kids who genuinely loved and sought after the Lord. And the question is, whose responsibility is that? Is it our schools? Is it our governments? Is it our churches? Or is it our homes? And I think, without a shadow of a doubt, that all points to the home. That everything else can be a partner in some ways, but the home is the precedent in which we should guide and teach and instruct our children. And so as we think about strengthening our family tree, the question is, is what's our guide and how do we do it? which we come across a passage in Psalm 127, a passage which helps us to realize what our priorities should be and how it is that we, as parents, could see ourselves as leaders. Or if you want to use a correlation to the text we just read in Ezekiel 34, you could call yourselves a shepherd. So everybody on the count of three, I want you to say shepherd. One, two, three. Shepherd. So if you begin to think about yourself as a shepherd, it means that you have responsibilities. And maybe you're here and you're like, well, I, I, don't, I don't have kids in my home. I'm a grandparent. Listen, real quick. If you're a grandparent, if you're a great-grandparent, you still have children. They still need to be cared for, and they still need to be nurtured, and they need to still be prayed over. And guess what? You have grandchildren. And they need you as well. And there is a great precedent for you and I to see our society in a family structure. And listen, the family structure is not contained just to the immediate, but it expands itself to everyone getting on the path toward what God wants. And if you begin to see yourself under the banner of the great shepherd, and you yourself are a shepherd as well, then it means you cannot neglect feeding your sheep, even though they're not always in your pasture. The question is, what happens when they come over for a weekend and they stumble into your pasture? How do you care for them? How do you meet their needs? What do you do for them? 
And so I pray that you'll grapple with this a little bit as we read this text. Psalm 127 simply says these words, um, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. And as uh, the psalmist writes, he in a sense is just saying the reason that we have a house or a city um, is because the Lord is faithful and he is good. Uh, and the reason that our cities or our homes are a success is because the Lord is over it. Matter of fact, he says, if you have a house without the Lord, he goes, you've done everything and you've labored in vain. If you have a city, he goes, it doesn't matter if you have a multitude of guards, you labor in vain. The reason why is because without the Lord, you are nothing. Uh, there's a Latin phrase, nisa dominus frusta. Uh, the idea of that is that without the Lord, you do everything in vain. Matter of fact, the word frusta means to frustrate. You know when you get most frustrated? is when you do things that turn out to be vanity. And, and it's when you don't do things with a purpose. Matter of fact, verse 2, it goes on and it says, In vain you rise early and you stay up late. You toil for food to eat. The idea is, is even in our family life, there are many of us that we get up way early in the morning and we go to bed way late at night and we're always exhausted. How many of you in here, parents, you're like, I'm always exhausted? tired all the time. And here's the question is, is what are you tired from? Is because you're laboring? The question is, is are you laboring in vain? In essence, what I mean by that is this. It doesn't matter if you go to work early in the morning and you come home late at night to put food on the table if the Lord's not in it. It doesn't matter if you seek to be successful. You, do, you have a nice home and you provide cush amenities for your family if the Lord's not in it. It doesn't matter if you have a great 401k or a portfolio or a plan for the future if the Lord's not in it. It doesn't matter if you are securing things or you have investment funds that your kids will later have if the Lord's not in it. It doesn't matter if you go to work and you labor with your hands and you even say to yourself, I'm doing everything to provide my kids what I never had. That doesn't matter if you labor in vain. At the end of the day, anything we do in and of ourselves without the Lord and His provision and His plan and His purposes is in vain. And it will, nisa dominus frusta, it will labor itself in vain because the Lord's not in it. And you'll be frustrated. Sometimes we look up and we're frustrated. And the reason we're frustrated is because we feel like our kids get in the way of our main objectives. Matter of fact, if I'm honest, one of the, the times that I'm most impatient with my kids is when I feel like they're a distraction to the things that I think are most important for me. It could be the work or it could be a task manager list or some things that I've got to do at the home or things that I've got to get done. And guess what? You know when I am most disturbed or most annoyed or less patient is when I think they're getting in the way of my plans. The challenge is, is that if I'm doing anything without the Lord and His guide, I'll be frustrated. The question is, is, is there anything on my task manager list? Is there any message I should prepare for that my children should frustrate me if I'm laboring with the Lord? The answer is no. There's nothing that I'm called to do on earth that my kids should frustrate me over if I'm doing it with the Lord and for His work and his namesake. The challenge is how many things do I do in the name of the Lord that my kids frustrate me in or that I'm patient or less patient than my wife in or 
in some ways, I see the flock, the sheep, as a nuisance to. The challenge is, is where we're leading ourselves. And so if the Lord's not in it, we are frustrated. Matter of fact, he goes on to say, he goes, it doesn't matter if you rise early, stay up late, you toil for food to eat. That's great. But he goes, he wants to grant sleep to those that he loves. The idea of this text is he goes, the Lord, he wants you to find rest and complete satisfaction in him, knowing that he is sufficient. He goes, if you get up early and you go to bed at late and you're toiling and you're laboring after stuff, after money, after more possessions or uh, more success or more notoriety, or even for that matter, so that your kids have things that you never had. He goes, you labor in vain, but the Lord wants you to have success in resting. And you could obviously look and say, okay, that means physical rest and better sleep. Yes, you could say that. But I think it goes beyond that, that in a sense, if you and I are purposely seeking after the Lord and His delight, that we are not going to labor in vain, and moreover, we will not be restless. Think about your life. If your life in some ways is crippled in anxiety and fear and restlessness, there may be a great opportunity for you to take some time to examine what your priorities are and ask the question, am I laboring in vain? Am I chasing after what Solomon says when he says that in Ecclesiastes, life is meaningless? It's after chasing after the wind. Am I chasing after meaningless things after the wind? Or am I chasing after the things of the Lord? Well, one way to see if you're chasing after the ways of the Lord is what he outlines after this. And he says in verse 3, he goes, I want you to know that children are a heritage from the Lord, an offspring, a reward from him. The question is, is how, how is this text tied to the text above? I mean, he's talking about the, the city of the Lord. And, and if you are, uh, are being blessed by God and he's watching over, then it's preserved. And then he talks about rising late and, uh, or rising early and staying up late and grants sleep to those he loves. And then he, he flips to kids. And the reason why is because if we're not careful, we'll miss the parallel between the time and the resources and the stewardship potential that we have and our family as a preserving agent. If we want society, the kingdom, to be preserved, we have to do it. And we do it best by our time. And the way that we handle the things that God's given us. And the way we view that is the way we view children. If we view children as a heritage of the Lord and offspring a reward from Him, then we are going to adjust our time accordingly. But if we think that other priorities take precedence, we'll adjust our time accordingly. This isn't a problem that we have in this day and age. It's a problem that we've always had. Matter of fact, in verse 4, he says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children born in one's youth. And blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. What he says, he goes, listen, if you'll adjust your time and your priorities to see what the Lord desires, he goes, you'll know that the Lord desires to bless the family. And he goes, and one of the ways the Lord blesses the family most is when you are satisfied in the Lord fully. Secondly, when you begin to realize that not only are you blessed in the Lord fully, but you know that your time is precious and your children are a heritage, a gift from the Lord. Matter of fact, that's what you and I have to begin to think through in this text. You need to know that children are a gift from the Lord. There's a lot of ways that people view children in the society, and not everyone in our society views children as a gift from the Lord. 
Matter of fact, if you were to look just statistically, we would see that there are less children being born now uh, in Christian homes than ever before. And one of the reasons why is because Christians claim to love God, yet they also want plush houses, nice cars, and great portfolios. And what's happened is over time is we have in some ways minimized the role of children in our life. And we have seen children as a pestilence, in some ways a nuisance, rather than a blessing and a gift from God. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that I think the church has struggled uh, is because they don't always see children as a blessing. Matter of fact, for many Christians in their circles, they see children as a pestilence and nuisance. Maybe even you would say in the church buildings that they would run in or they would spill Kool-Aid in or that they would drop a cookie or crumbs on a pew. Think about how you've ever seen that portrayed or viewed In essence, the question is, if children are a gift from the Lord, then how do we treat children? We should treat them well. Why? Because they are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, you see, it says, let God make man in our image, the plurality, that we as people are a heritage of the Lord, that we are created in His image, that we are a gift from Him. Psalm 139, 13 through 16, talks about that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knit us together, children, children, in our mother's womb before even one day came to be. He knew us. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says that he, in a sense, has uh, chosen us even before the foundation of the earth. Like God knew us. He's calling us. He's conforming us. You think about how much God loves children. You even see that exemplified in the gospel narratives as God would uh, see through Jesus to call what? Little children to him. That, hey, that don't, don't neglect these children. We see a love from God to children. Why? Because they are the next generation. They are the culture and they are a gift from God. Matter of fact, they are even created for God for the purposes of doing God's business. Ephesians 2.10 says it this way, for we are his workmanship created for Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. We should walk in him and walk in them, those gifts that God has given us. And so we want to raise our children to know and walk in the Lord so that they could be a useful vessel for the Lord. The question is this, is if we think about children as a gift from the Lord, the question then becomes, well, if they're a heritage, then what's the purpose of them? And it says here that not only are they a heritage from the Lord, but they are like arrows in the hands of the warrior. So think about it. They're useful. Like there they're are children that are useful. I mean, they can mow the yard. I mean, they can do dishes. That's what I think, right? No, like they're useful. They're arrows in the hand of the warrior. So they must be guided with care. Now think about this. They are a weapon in the day and age in which they live in. When you think about this idea of guided with care, what you need to know is that an arrow in that day and time was their defense system. That's how they cared for their own people. It's how they had security. That's what their defense net mechanism was. It's what guards had. And so you think it's, it's the military weapon of that day, and God would use in his word, in a sense, he would say, listen, the defense of a family, the home, something that could be useful for the home, could also be a weapon, which we'll talk about in a few moments, but it must be guided with care. So think about the care and the precision precision that it takes. Uh, it's why we as parents shouldn't exasperate our kids, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's why we read the words of Proverbs 1, 8, 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. 
Now, let's be honest. Kids don't ever think that the, their mother's words of discipline are graceful garland to their neck, right? I mean, there are many mothers that right now you would say, I feel like I'm always disciplining my kids. Anybody, moms, you would say, I feel like I'm always harping on them. I'm always on them. One day, it will be a graceful garland for their heads and a pendant for their neck if you do it well. Choose your words carefully. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. The idea of this is that you and I must guide our children with care and precision. That we must be thinking strategically about the time that we spend with them. Last week, Cody did a really great job of helping you and I understand that our parenting is not a hands-off approach. We don't cross our fingers and hope that somehow they're going to be good. We, we shouldn't even have the goal to raise good moral children that conform to society. Our goal is not to have children that have straight A's. If that's your goal in parenting, I think you're missing it. Matter of fact, we celebrate one of the children in our house if he doesn't even have an A. And one of the reasons why is because the way the Lord wired him, just the way he's made, still fearfully and wonderfully made, there's a great chance he's never going to have all A's. And we don't demean him and we don't celebrate the other siblings in the house that do. What we, what we think through strategically is just scripture. Is he working diligently to do everything he can, whether in word or deed, for the glory of God? And if that's the, a, a check, then we go, hey, son, you've done fantastic. Keep it up. But when he, he brings a, a great home that we think is less than satisfactory, we don't say, hey, dude, what are you doing, you, you bonehead? Are you lazy and slothful? We begin to ask a question. We go, hey man, was there something you didn't understand? Did you rush through it too quickly? Help, help us understand. And sometimes it was, I rushed through it too quickly. Sometimes it might be the result of laziness or slothfulness. But in many times in our child's mind, it was something that he couldn't understand. And the way that God has wired him, he may not ask a question about it. But what we want to be is sensitive to guide and care, not on grades, but on how we handle particular things in our house that shape our children to see the love, the instruction, and the wisdom, and the guidance of our God in us. See, I think when we start thinking about priorities, we have them confused. And, and we oftentimes confuse them in many different ways. And one of the ways that's most interesting uh, is the way we view time after school. Matter of fact, Barn Research Group, uh, led by David Kinneman and many others, uh, recently, last handful of years, have come out with some research as to what families think are priorities after school. And so when you think about after school, I don't know about you, but I think about stress levels rising, Right? Uh, because there's things to do, and it seems like you come home day after day, and you have a task manager list of things that have to be accomplished, only to get dinner fed, showers done, and kids in bed. And you only do that day in and day out, and it's exhausting. The question is, is what is the top priority? And so kids and parents rated their top priorities that if they were to come home at 4 o'clock and have to go to bed by 9, what are the things they would accomplish most? 65% said number one thing we have to accomplish when we get home is homework. 64% right under it would rate the number two thing, the thing they have to accomplish as movies, TV. Those are things that are on their priority list. And then it just the list kind of goes down from there. And they have things such as um, engaging with family members at 56%. So that means what? Like having a little brief conversation. Uh, it could be playing video games at 42%. It could be informal play or just activity on their own. It's just going outside, doing whatever they want. 
hitting a baseball or shooting a basketball or playing your your trombone, whatever that is, your guitar. Uh, It could be at 32% reading other work outside of homework. And the list just goes on and on and on. They rate things that they have to do before they go to bedtime. And you get to the very last thing, and it's just tucked in at the very end of the list. And 8% of all family members would say that there is a discipleship component between 4 and 9 o'clock. 8% say we might will read our Bible as a priority or that we might talk about the things of God. Now, when you start thinking about that real quickly, that we are guiding and nurturing and caring for the youth that are in our quiver, the question is, is what is the priority? And it's one thing for you to be encouraged and even and sent out and you see a video like Chris and Jenny Bird and go, hey, man, I, I, I know what I ought to do. The question is not whether or not you know what you ought to do. Matter of fact, it's not in some ways whether or not it's even your intentions because we know that intentions without great choices leads you to a path of nowhere. The question is, is how are we going to be diligent about putting these things on our schedule? How are we going to care for, nurture, and guide our children? Because it is a priority. Because they have to be guided with care. So we need to teach them about the things of God. We need to teach them about the authority of God, about His Word. We need to think them through stewardship issues. And when we think stewardship, you oftentimes think money. Why is the church always talking about money? I'm not talking about money at all. Listen, when I think stewardship, I think this. You ought to be thinking from everything you just threw out in your refrigerator in the last two weeks that you should have eaten to everything you have in the future of your care. So you should think from your refrigerator to all the way to the future of your care. As Americans, by and large, we are not good stewards of the resources God entrusts to our care. We throw out more, you throw out more food in your fridge than some countries will eat an entire year. And it's a stewardship component. And so we're not just stewarding what's in our fridge, but we got to steward our time after school. We got to steward our relationship with our husbands and our wives. We got to steward our spousal relationships, the priorities there. We got to steward our finances, our money, our time the treasures in which God has given us, the talent in which God's given us, whether or not we're going to serve and where we're going to serve. We've got to maximize all the resources that God has given us. Why? Because all of these say something about the God we serve. And they certainly say something to our children. And so we ought to think through all of those things, devotion, discipleship. We ought to think through purity, what it looks like to live pure in a day of sin and evil. We ought to talk about sin and evil. We ought to have conversations about those things at our table and about how we avoid such things. We ought to be lovers of God. and We ought to be lovers of Jesus. We ought to honor mankind. We ought to think about how we promote others. Why? Because what we do with our children say something about us. Matter of fact, this is number three. Every single arrow in the quiver is going to be traced back to a warrior. There's going to be a day and age in which Ezekiel 34, all the leaders of Israel will stand before God on the account of how they lacked in their care. There's a day and age where I'm going to stand before God on account of this flock called Stone Point Church for how I cared for our flock. And there is a day and age where you as a parent will stand before God on the account of your flock. You are a shepherd of a handful of in your quiver. And your quiver is meant to be pulled out, used, and shot straight, strong, and true. And listen, I know that as we think about this, um, it's very difficult. The question is, is if it's going to be straight traced back to the warrior, then what am I to do with it? And what does that even mean? Well, Proverbs 14, 26 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. 
Proverbs 20, verse 7 says this, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are the children after them. What is it God wants us to be? He wants us to be a soldier. And he doesn't want us to get entangled in civilian pursuits. He wants to make sure that we've set our eyes, Colossians 3, on things above, that we don't get caught up in earthly things, but that we realize that our heritage from the Lord is to love him, to serve him, and to raise godly kids that do the same. And as we begin to think through all those questions, you go, well, why is it that I'm struggling in this area? And here's the question. It's either because you haven't cared for the arrow, or number two, potentially, it's because you're not a warrior. For some of us in here, we've not cared for our arrows. And for others of us, we're not a warrior. And listen, I want you to understand something real carefully. It's very difficult for a person who's not a warrior and seeking after the things of God to handle an arrow well. And I think as I talk to certain people and, and, and I wrestle uh, through certain truths, here's what I time and time and time and time again experience. 50, 60, 70-year-old guys who are older versions of their 13-year-old self, still wrapped up in their same insecurities, still guessing and wondering what this life is about, still in some ways aimlessly trying to find their way even through life now. Listen, how does a person wrapped up in their own insecurities, in their own aimless pursuit, like how do they shoot an arrow straight when they don't know what their path is? And I want you to understand that the Lord is not a God of confusion and he is not distant. He wants to meet you where you are and he wants to make your path straight. And as he makes your path straight and he leads you on paths of righteousness for his namesake, he will allow you to then pull out of your quiver and shoot with your bow something that is straight, strong, and true. And listen, can we all do a better job of that? Absolutely. But I want you to realize that our job is not done. Your time is not over. As long as you have breath, you still have an arrow that you can sharpen and that you can use. And listen, there are some grandparents in here. Listen to me. I, I want you to hear something very carefully. I said it in the first service, and I'll say it to all of my grandparents' face. And when I say it, my kids' grandparents. And I want you to hear this. I, it's out of love. But when I send my, grand, my kids to their grandparents' home, they do not need another screen. They do not need another toy. They do not need to be entertained. You did not entertain us as kids. You disciplined us. You thought there was a way that made straight. And, and listen, I think in some ways we think it's humorous. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil them and send them home. Listen, you are doing something that's contrary to the word of God. And it is a stewardship issue. And when you start thinking about children as a heritage from the Lord and as a stewardship issue, listen, when you get them under your care, you should sharpen them well. I promise you that as a parent, it's far easier to put them in front of screens for a few hours. It is easier. It is permissible under the law, but it is not beneficial. And we ought to think through that. I'll tell you, as Kelly and I go out on a date tonight, uh, it's very difficult finding childcare people to watch our kids for a handful of hours because they're three kids who love to have fun and be unruly. But what I don't need is somebody to come over to the house and watch them watch screens. I need someone who will come and will invest some time in them and love them and care for them 
and we'll throw the football with them and then do things that maybe in some ways we didn't do with our own children. Think through that. They are a heritage from the Lord. They are a gift from God. They need to be guided. And listen, if we don't shoot them strong, straight, and true, then guess what? You'll have consequences. Why? Because every arrow will bring about good or evil. Every single thing we shoot will produce good or evil. I put can, and if, if you are taking notes, you ought to scratch out can and put the word will. They will either bring about good or evil. They are heirs from the Lord. They will either do what's right in their own eyes or they'll do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. If we do what's right in our own eyes, guess what? It brings about death and destruction. Why? Because arrows not shot strong, straight, and true will hit something and will cause pain and destruction and heartache. And so we've got to hit the right target. And the question is, is how do we do that? It's about discipline. It's about, dis- it's about care and correction. It's the idea of uh, the defense system. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give the light to your heart. You go, I just can't discipline him. I, I can't do it. It's just such a hard thing. Well, listen, discipline dis- deters destruction. If you don't want him to destroy everything in your house, you've got to bring about some discipline. It ought to be carefully done. But all discipline expresses love. Don't be confused by that. The most loving thing you can do is care and correction, even in the flock. That's what discipline is. It's Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Listen, if any person is left to himself, they are their own shepherd. He will ruin our lives. That's why we need the Lord. It's why we need the guidance of the Spirit. It's why we need to be carefully crafted and used. And I'll tell you, if we don't think through this strategically in our own lives, here's what we will produce. Kids who cross a high school stage have made decent enough grades to either survive in college or good enough grades that you can applaud them, give them accolades, only for them to go on with a college scholarship and ruin it within the first semester because they're living and doing what's right in their own eyes. Or, Maybe we don't shoot for good grades and morality and we think through godliness that we carefully choose what our kids watch and see and who it is that we put them in care with. That we guide them and we nurture them and we think through that strategically so that one day they will be a graceful pendant around their their mother's necks. Can I tell you that's the hardest thing right now in my life in this season is how do we train kids to be spiritual champions. It is by far the most difficult thing that I live in day in and day out. It's much more difficult sharpening kids and growing them in the instruction of the Lord than it is leading a church of hundreds of people. It is a challenge. It is not easy. I'm not standing here telling you what you should do. I'm telling you what I have to do. What I'm trying to help you realize is this, is that for every one thing I get right, I seem to get four things wrong. That if left to my own devices and my own destruction, I will lead my family off a cliff. If I don't plan out things for my family and I'm not strategic about nurturing and caring for them, guess what? I will do what's on my own list. And typically, if I'm honest, it's, it's largely selfish. If I'm honest, I don't want to go on a field trip. There's nothing that sounds fun about going to the zoo. I don't want to throw the football. I want to watch football. But in my selfishness, I will ruin my family. And I'm prone to selfishness. 
and I'm prone to leave the God I love. But I think we can be intentional. And one of the reasons that you have a family tree guide is because we spent hours preparing a handful of tools, hours preparing a handful of tools so that you could use them. To be honest with you, uh, sometimes the most frustrated I get is when I ask a handful of people in my lives, hey, have you used the, the family tree guide? And the answer is no, I hadn't used it. I, I, in my flesh, I get angry. And the reason why is because it's not the church's job to raise your children, but I do think it's our job to give you tools and resources to help you do that. And so there are some well-crafted questions and there are things that can happen. Tomorrow is National Sunday Day. It's a great reason for all of us to start Monday with ice cream. We've given you a guide on some gospel conversations that you can use and I encourage you to use it. If you miss National Nacho Day, circle back around and say, hey, last week was National Nacho Day. Hey, there's some great questions. It's an excuse for you to get your family around a table because here's what most people would say statistically matters. It's not the homework list. It's not the screens. But that spiritual champions are built, statistics prove, when families are intentional about spending 90 to 120 minutes a day together over the Lord's business. How are you doing? And may we be encouraged to do better. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us to our, all truth. I thank you, Lord, um, that you have allowed us to have children in our lives. God, I pray that we do not see them as a nuisance or a challenge. I pray that when we think about kids' ministry, I pray, Lord, that in this moment, even right now, that we don't see kids' ministry as something that we provide, but it's a tool to help sharpen and guide and shoot children straight as a partnership with parents. I pray that in this moment right now, you would convict a hundred people in this room who thinks that kids' ministry is childcare. And then it's somebody else's business. And I pray that we would have a mass exodus out these doors to pray thoroughly through what it looks like to serve in the area of shaping kids in the most fundamental years of their life. That between the ages of 5 and 14, more people will come to know and enjoy a faith in Jesus than ever before. And I pray that we would think of that as a priority in our lives and in our homes. Our time is limited. It's running out. It's passing with each and every moment and second and day. And so, Lord, help us to make the most of our time. And may we realize that any plans that we have on our own will simply frustrate us because without the Lord, everything we do is in vain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.